Hey there, it's Debbie and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. I think that's really the most debilitating part of being differently wired, is that through the resistance you get from the outside world, you build in these very destructive, automated parts of your personality that are just not helping you progress. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm happy to be bringing you a conversation with Anders Ronow, a master coach and hypnotherapist who specializes in ADHD. Anders is the leading ADHD coach in Denmark and for the past seven years has been teaching both parenting programs and been an ADHD coach trainer. He recently launched his online community and business, Transforming ADHD. Anders has a unique approach to working with his clients who are anywhere from six years old to adults. And I was really intrigued to learn more about his work and find out what its implications are for our kids. His focus is on developing his clients' cognitive skills and behaviors to help them be better at managing their time, their focus, and their temperament, as well as rebuilding their self-worth. And lest you think this is going to be all about ADHD, Anders works with all kinds of differently wired people, including those with Asperger's, Tourette's, OCD, and other differences. So I think there are really some great takeaways for any parent raising an atypical kid. I hope you find this conversation as interesting as I did. And before we get started, a quick note. If you like what we're doing on the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I would like to invite you to support our Patreon campaign. Patreon is a tool that allows people to support the work of artists, musicians, and yes, even podcasters. Donations made through our campaign help fund production costs associated with the podcast. Help which is very appreciated as it allows me to spend more time focusing on the other pieces of finding and researching great guests to bring on the show. It's super easy to help out and every little bit helps. If you'd like to support us, please visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Thanks for considering and for being a part of our audience. And now let's get on with the show. Hey, Anders, welcome to the show. Hi, Debbie. So you and I were talking before I hit record. This is the first time we've spoken in person, although I was trying to think we've been online friends for maybe the past year. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that does sound about right. Well, and I think we connected because our big picture mission for supporting differently wired kids, for me, felt very much in alignment. And I know that a, your focus is around supporting kids and adults with ADHD, as well as helping parents who are raising kids with ADHD. And before we even start, I want to just say that I appreciate how supportive you have been as I launched and got tilt off the ground. You kind of saw this in the early stages and and now I've gotten to see that with your transforming ADHD and watch you launch that last fall. So it's been really cool to see that and to get to support what you're doing and have you on the show. Likewise. Before we kind of get into the meat of our conversation, could you give us a little bit of background about your story and how you got into this field of helping people with ADHD? Mm, sure. So I work as a coach, coaching clients with ADHD now. Like a lot of my clients, I have a mixed background. I started out when I was a kid 
I was definitely differently wired, but also gifted. So, you know, I kind of snuck under the radar and, and managed well throughout school and stuff. My mom is a, was a special ed teacher, so she uh, helped me manage everything like I was supposed to. Then in my early 20s, I did a PhD in applied physics. Then I did because I realized that wasn't really it. So I did a master's level design degree afterwards. And what kind of holds all this together is that I really like to figure things out, like how they work and, and what's going on. And I love the process of problem solving. So when I started, I did a couple of uh, coaching programs and just knew that that was the most intense experience that I'd ever had uh, work-wise and had to, to do more of that. So in 2007, I started working as a coach full-time. And one of my very first clients was a, an adult uh, who called in and said, I have ADHD and 40 years old. Is there anything you can do about it? And I actually, when we talked, I thought I knew what it was about. So I said, yeah, sure, come on in and we'll figure it out. And when I hung up the phone, I was like, oh, shoot, I don't actually know what ADHD is. So he came in. I, I actually had time to prepare and read about ADHD in advance. And what I was reading, reading when I was reading like the psychiatry-based literature, wasn't too optimistic because it was all about behavior. And all of my training as a coach and therapist was how do we change things from the inside out? How do we work with the emotional states, the the cognitive states that drive the behavior. So for me, looking at the behavior alone wasn't very interesting. Mm -hmm. And everything about ADHD is about behavior when you look at it from a, a diagnosis perspective. So I actually coached him for free for six months and had a really interesting time learning about ADHD from him. And pretty much from when he walked out of the door and I told my network about what I'd been doing, my entire practice was around ADHD hmm. because there weren't any tools for 10 years ago. There weren't anybody who could say that things really moved, at least not, not that fast. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things that kind of my signature is that I came in not knowing anything about ADHD. So I really had to let my clients teach me. Of course, I've read all the right books and went to the conferences and, and whatnot, but I've really let my clients teach me what ADHD was and also what could be done about it. Because a lot of the things I read in the psychiatry-oriented literature was very belief-oriented. Like, this can be done. All people are like that, and you can't change anything about uh, the way they think about time and, and stuff like that. And I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I, I don't want to hold these beliefs, so I'll just let my clients tell me what is actually uh, happening inside of them and, and what we can transform. And I still haven't really found the limit to what's possible to transform in, in the mind of somebody else. It's very interesting just to hear the story from you. And it does seem so counter to what we think of when we think about ADHD, especially with kids, so much of the strategies is it's centered around their behavior. And maybe because with kids, that's where their ADHD is really creating a problem, right? In schools, their behavior is disruptive, or it's non-compliant, or it's intense, or just being disorganized, or all these kind of factors that are influencing them. And so that's where all the focus is, right, on addressing that behavior. And the standard approach, what we used for years was this 
positive behavior reinforcement plan. And, you know, where yes. there are lots of charts. And I think with we had so many iterations of our little charts. There was one for different teachers and one at home and, uh, you know, stickers or checks or stars. Or I think our last one, he he created a Minecraft monetary system called Creeper <laughs> Bucks. And that's what he was collecting. But, you know, that reinforcing positive behavior. And as far as we knew, that was really the only that was what worked. And that's yeah. what you do. So yes, what are your thoughts on that? I really like motivational strategies. So I'm not I'm not opposed to uh, moving in the direction of po- uh, motivational strategies. The problem is that a lot of times with kids with the ADHD diagnosis, they just don't work. Or they work while you use them, but they don't kind of settle into a new behavior. So that once you start the strategy, everything falls apart again. And that really comes down to if, you're, if your thoughts are spinning, like if you have a lot of stuff going on in your mind, you can kind of pause them, like so subconsciously, you can kind of pause them or try to focus and, and whatnot. But once you don't have the motivational strategy going for you, things will just kind of pop back to how they were. Let me give you an example of that. I was working with a kid who really, he came, when he came into me, he couldn't remember three things. So if his mom told him, go pick up this, that, and the third thing, he would come back with like a partial solution to the first thing. So like if that first thing was a pick up like a freezer bag with like two cups of oatmeal, he'd come back with some oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And you could definitely have tried motivational strategies with him, like offered him stars and or even money or games or playtime or screen time for doing it right. And he might have been able to gear up and try harder. But if the cognitive strategy for remembering those three things isn't in place, he's just going to reverse or revert back to the old way of thinking, like relax into his normal way of thinking, really. So what I was able to do with him was to help him realize that he was actually really good at remembering, remembering his three favorite games. And he, was, he had very detailed memories of his like he could say what the game was and who was in it and even what the font was on the front page of front cover of the dvd cover so his memory wasn't not working it was just used in the wrong way and we were able to kind of rewire his thinking around remembering things so he had a clear image of what he wanted to remember and from that day on he could just remember those three things Hmm. And he didn't need a motivational stra- strategy because he really was motivated. Right. He just didn't have the cognitive strategy for it. Wow. Okay. I'm. This is very exciting. <laughs> I'm already like, yes. Because what you just described is a real challenge for kids with ADHD, especially that multi-step, you know, do this, then do this, then do that. And that's actually something I work a lot with Ashron and I challenge him we, we don't use any motivational or behavioral system, positive behavioral reinforcement anymore. But I do say, okay, first, I'd like you to put your dishes in the dishwasher. Then if you could take your clothes and put them in the lawn, you know, I, tr- I try to give him three things to do, seeing if he can right. stick with all three of right. those. But I've never, as you describe it, it makes total sense that give them a strategy. He has the best memory. He almost has a photographic memory, yet, Mm -hmm. you know, sticking with these things is difficult. So I love that. It sounds like you're kind of becoming fluent in the child's 
world or their language and what their gifts are and interests are, and then using that as a starting point. Is that yes, accurate? Yes, that's, that's totally correct. And you mentioned ADHD and differently wired. My work is not centered on ADHD. I'm, that's just the kind of the niche or the, the expertise I've developed. But I'll happily work with ODD, Asperger's, and, and, and Tourette, and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. so, so all these different diagnoses, once a person walks in the door, they don't really matter anymore mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Because as you say, I, I need to become fluent in the child's inner language. And that inner language is different from child to child to child. So I can't really know in advance what I have to do. Mm -hmm. which in the beginning was terrifying to me. I like order and structure and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I've kind of freaked out every time I had to work with a child because things were so hectic and, and all over the place. And I had to work to figure out what was actually going on. Right. Now it's a, obviously a different situation. But yeah, everybody's inner world is so differently laid out and, and managed, if you will. So I really can't offer anything in there. I don't have any solutions for people or for any of my clients. I have to figure out what's in there and help them help me figure out what will be good for them. How do you do that? How do you kind of get access to the inner world of the child that you're working with? I, I just really listen to what comes out of their mouth. Like I'll have a, a kid coming in and we'll be talking about how they have anger fits and, and hits other, other kids in school and stuff. And the kid says, it wasn't me that hit her. It was my hand. Hmm. And every normal, healthy parent, when they hear that, they'll be going, oh, it's your responsibility. It's your hand. So it was you who did it. Uh, whereas I'll say, oh, wow, then it's a good thing you said that because then you and I need to have a good conversation with your hand about that. Because <laughs> obviously, uh, different forces are at play in the, in the child. There's a part of them that want it to hit. And that's the, that's signalized or described by the hand wanted to hit. And then there's obviously a part of them that knows that that's wrong. So what I want to do is I want to talk to the healthy child inside the kid that has a, a good value system that knows what's right and wrong and stuff. And I want to talk to that whole child about the hand. And we'll be talking about the hand like the hand is really the perpetrator of the actions. This is a process called externalization. A lot has been written about that through narrative therapy. Um, my background is in uh, neurolinguistic programming, and I've studied a lot of narrative therapy. And so I take the coaching approach to all of this. So all the different uh, tools in my bag can be used with the coaching approach. And I'll just ask the kid, so how do you feel about your hand doing that? So we'll externalize that thing in their hand that wants to hit. And uh, I'll have the kid explain a lot of things about that hand and why it's doing what it's doing and what it's trying to achieve and, and whatnot. And then we'll figure out what the child thinks the hand should do different. Hmm. And all the time, I'm just merely being a uh, catalyst for that conversation. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. 
And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Do you find that the kids you're working with are open? You know, is is that externalization help them be more open because it's not kind of fused with who they are? And I imagine some of them feel guilt or shame about yeah. their behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. They've been guilt tripped so much about their behavior and they really want it to stop, but they can't figure out how to do it because it's the hand that does it. So when I acknowledge that they really want it to stop, most often they just really think that I am a trustworthy person and I am often even the first person they think actually understand them. Mm. Wow. Because I just I just listen and and let them know that whatever's going on inside of them is what's going on inside of them and and I completely understand that. And I know and obviously I express this both like consciously but subconsciously that I think they're cool kids and I just really like them. So they trust me. Sometimes it's in the fourth 
session with a kid that we actually get to do some work. Obviously, my work starts in the beginning seconds of the first session, but the transformational work sometimes only starts when we reach the third or fourth session, because that's when the kid is open to the transformation, trusts me mm-hmm. enough to uh, trust me enough to to talk to me about things that are going on in there. But once we do that, most kids just really love it. They love talking about what's going on inside of them. And when they know it's okay to talk about what's going on inside of them, it's like a, an alternative universe opening up with everything from trolls to magicians to all these different things that are happening inside of them. Hmm. I have kids coming back and saying that they had a really fun time last time and they wanted, they really wanted to come play with me again. That's a good sign. Yeah, that is a good sign. So would you mind taking us through continuing this example of the child who you externalize that was his hand doing the hitting? Like, mm-hmm. how do you then take that information and work with the child to actually change the behavior? What does that look like further on? Like further on in that session? So if the child makes that connection, right? So they right. now understand and they have this language and they and you're able to kind of look at this as not part of who they are. How do you take that information and help them come up with a strategy to actually change what's going on? Or does that just kind of happen naturally that once they're aware of this, they can have more control over it? So we want to create a transformation during the session that allows them to not have to struggle afterwards, which means that thing with the hand has to be so different by the time they leave my office that either they don't have to think about it. So a part of their personality, so our our personalities are interesting uh, concepts with parts of our personality. So if we say one part of this kid's personality wants to hit and thinks that that's a really good way to solve conflicts or get, get his will. This was something that he learned years ago, typically, once things become a problem. So if he's a 12-year-old that still hits, and it's his hand doing that, uh, when I talk to him, he thinks it's a really bad idea to hit, and he doesn't like that his hand is doing that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know how to fight it. So kind of the power struggle within him favors the hand right now. Mm -hmm. What I want to help him do is either change the powers within him so that the hand doesn't win in that situation, or even better, I want to change, help him transform the part of him that wants to hit. So how does that work? In the session, in this concrete example, I'll be going into into a lot of detail. So I don't know anything about that hand But it turns out that when you detail, if you bring a lot of detail to something that's inside of you, you kind of drag it out of your uh, subconscious mind and into your conscious mind. And when you do that, it becomes surprisingly flexible, like you can change it into anything. So with this kid, I had him detail everything about that hand, like how far up does it go up into the wrist or into the arm or, hmm. uh, and I've, I've had the experience with the hand several times and sometimes it's in the hand, sometimes it's all the way up to the shoulder. Either way, and I'll have him even describe to me what color it is, like how hard or soft it is, what feeling it gives him, or how heavy it is. 
and all these kind of weird details that you wouldn't want to ask people about what's going on inside of them because you just don't do that. But when I do that, people find that the answers are really easy to come up with hmm. because all these subconscious patterns, like before he walked into my office, it was automated in his mind that he would hit. Right. Once we bring it into his conscious mind by detailing it, things change. He can suddenly change it. So I'll be asking, so what, what of all the things I asked you, what would you like to change about it? You'd be like, I don't like the way it feels or I don't like how heavy it is or I don't like its attitude or whatnot. And we'll be going through that thing then. So, for example, he's, he says, I don't like the color of it. It's not a nice color. So he associates some kind of thing with the color. And I'll be going, so what color would you like it to be instead? And just for his mind to attempt to like find that better color, the thing changes. Mm -hmm. So if it was if it was dark red, for example, typically associated with some kind of anger, he'd be going, oh, I'd like it to be uh, light green. And just to come up with that answer, his mind has to do that thing in his mind. Mm. So we've already, if you will, massaged that pattern. And so I'll, I'll just keep him in that. So I'll be going, so when it is green, what else changes with it? And he'll start describing how it's lighter. It's, it's almost like fun. And suddenly he just wants to put it in his pocket. <laughs> And then we're pretty much done. Of course, there's kind of a, a finishing up procedure around that. But in very simple strokes, that's, that's what's happening uh, in my practice. And a parent will return after a session like that or call me and say, that's amazing. The teachers say that my kid is walking around in the schoolyard, hand in his pocket, and just ignoring fights around him. So interesting. I trained as a, to be a life coach uh, years ago, and your story reminded me of just something we used to say, you have to name it to tame it. And so mm -hmm. you're really bringing out, I love that you're giving it all this detail, or the child is that they're kind of, but you have to see it to know what it is in order to to be able to deal with it. Yes. If you want the transformation to come from the inside out, you definitely have to see it or experience it or kind of feel it and name it, as you say. It's so powerful to name it. And then you say to tame it. And I like that because most of the motivational strategies that are in play are really based on some kind of like oppositional strategy. Mm -hmm. That you fight something or you struggle through something or right. you power through something. And, and that works too. But it always leaves that part of you that was... Like if we'd powered through, like put your hand on your back and go to your teacher and whatnot, he could have maybe done that, but it would have been a struggle every time and possibly mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. Right. This way, when it comes from the inside out, he can change it and not have to think about it again. Well, and it's also just positive, right? It, mm -hmm. It's just part of who he is. And, and we're all complicated. We all have different ranges of our behavior and experience and emotional responses to things. And it's good to acknowledge them and notice them and see what we can do so that they don't work against us, but to kind of shame them or make them feel like that's a bad side of us doesn't yes. really work. <laughs> no, that, that creates a whole lot of problems that will just get bigger and, and bigger along the way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, when Asher was four, I was thinking about this before our call. The very first therapist we took him to was because he was having anger issues in preschool and throwing things and, you know, just kind of acting out physically in unsafe ways and just a lot of anger. So we took him to this therapist in Seattle where we were living and we did kind of the first part of this approach in that he created an avatar for his anger and it was the mad monster he called him and he was blue and he described him. And so we used to just talk about like, oh, it seems like the mad monster is hanging around. And so we talked about it in in that way, but, and it probably stuck with that for a year or two. And maybe it was helpful in some ways, but seems like what it was missing was taking it to the next level. So it was like, and that is a big piece to be missing. A lot of therapeutic kind of directions or strategies actually have that part of narrating what's going on inside of you. And it does help to realize what is going on inside of you. But a lot of times, then that becomes the thing that you fight. Mm -hmm. Whereas really, in my work, I work a lot with what's called the positive intention. So I always assume that there's a positive intention with every part of a person's personality. That's a long way of saying that I think that the hand that was hitting was trying to help the child. Mm-hmm. So when I acknowledge that to the child and ask, so what's the, what's the hand trying to help you with? Well, it wants to hit the other person. Yeah, what would come out of that? Oh, he'd leave or he'd stop teasing me or whatever. And then we can have a little discussion about, so the outcome that the hand wanted, the positive intention was really for you to be left alone. And that opens up like an an acknowledgement process, even to the pattern in the child that is not good. Does that make sense? Yeah, I absolutely love that, that idea of a positive intention. And that's something with emotions, I always have believed that, you know, well, there's no such thing as a bad emotion. And actually, when you're feeling a really intense emotion, like anger, or frustration, or jealousy, or whatever it is, one of those really strong ones, Mm -hmm. that it's a gift. It's there for a reason to provide you with information or something that you need to be paying attention to. So I really love that reframe. And I could see how helping a child consider that the behavior or whatever aspect of them is responding in a way that might be quote unquote inappropriate is actually doing what it thinks it needs to do to help. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. The best it knew when it was created. So that the hand part was created years earlier in the child. And back then the child thought that hitting other kids was the way to go, or maybe had an experience where it worked. And then it kind of settled in as an automatic reaction, hmm. right? So, so there are immature parts of the personality. And when you transform them, they kind of grow up. So really, uh, what's happened is a, is a maturization process mm-hmm. of the child. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. 
And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I wanted to ask you about age What are the ages of kids that you typically work with? And what is their kind of motivation like in terms of, I mean, I've noticed as Asher's gotten older, and he's 12 and a half now, he is incredibly motivated to work on things for himself, because he recognizes that certain aspects of the way that he responds in situations can get in his own way can cause problems for other people. So he's highly motivated. But do you find that with kids that you work with, that they come in motivated? Or I don't I'm just curious about that. I have kids from six years and up. So I work with kids, teens, adults, and, and even grannies. And really, one of the things that for this process to work in the time frame that I have with the child, the child has to be motivated. Mm-hmm. The child doesn't have to know what's going on, but the child has to, you know, be a little sad that they hit or want things to change. So if a child is very unmotivated or can't even see that it plays a role in what's going on, I have a difficult time. The coaching approach in its cleanest form just really doesn't solve Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. But most often the kids are just really excited to change something. But often there's a lot of guilt or shame involved that really is in the way of working with it. So we have to get that part out of the way first. Mm-hmm. Asher is obviously a, a different child in this respect, uh, respect because of the education that you're giving him mm-hmm. and the environment he's, he's living in now. So I think he has a lot more insight into what's possible and strategies and thinking about the mind and the brain and whatnot than other kids his age. Mm-hmm. But even if if kids don't come in like truly motivated, you can still work with them. Like I had a kid, uh, a teenager come in, he was like 14, 15, and he had really bad behavior. And even though I always check with the parents, is your child motivated? I'd gotten a yes from the mom and she kind of pushed him through the door and left, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like fix my kid almost. <laughs> yep. And I sat him down in the chair and made sure mom couldn't hear us. And, and I was like, so why are you here? I don't know. He said, I I really have no idea. So I guess your mom would have an idea. Yeah, but that's really her problem. So the, the kid was not interested in being there. And what was cool was that we ended up talking about him having a problem with her problems with him. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's very meta. <laughs> yeah, very meta. But it opened up to to a really interesting conversation with him about how they struggled for no reason because the mom was trying to control every aspect of his life. Mm. And and he opened up to realizing that that she was actually trying to protect him. Mm. And he could start like negotiating his freedom with her. <laughs> like 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 she would have to hand over responsibility for a lot of things for him to grow up and become the man he already thought he was becoming. Right. And that became a really good process between the two of them. So when people come to see you, are they, you know, as you said, the mom wanted her, wanted you to fix her son. I think that that's the mindset of a lot of parents who are struggling, especially with either behavior at home or information they're getting from the school about what's going on, or especially with kids with executive functioning challenges, which could be, you know, they could be differently wired in so many different ways and struggle with that, like organization and time management and all those things that start to become a big problem in middle school and things. What are most people, I'm just curious, coming to you, wanting you to quote unquote fix? I really get the full palette of difficulties that are associated with ADHD uh, and kind of the, the surrounding diagnoses. But I think the one thing that most people need to work with before they can do any of this is all the negativity that they have towards themselves. Mm. So most people, if not all people aged eight and up with the ADHD diagnosis and probably with most of the different diagnoses have a lot of inner negativity. So they have some kind of inner voice Mm. in their mind telling them they're not good enough, uh, they're not perfect enough, they're not good, they're always wrong or mm-hmm. whatnot. So they have all this negativity in them. And I think that's really the most debilitating part of being differently wired is that through the resistance you get from the outside world, you build in these very destructive automated parts of your personality that are just not helping you progress. Right. So that Later in life, when you do want to learn something, then you still can't learn something because first you have to go that filter through that filter of not being good enough and being an idiot and I'm bad at learning and, and whatnot. And those will be the ones holding you back, not the material, because your learning potential is enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote a blog post not too long ago about a conversation Asher and I had at the dinner table Well, actually, he was late to the dinner table, which is why we had the conversation. And he apologized for showing up late because he was trying to finish some some project on his computer. And I said, you don't need to apologize. I know this is something you're working on. And and that was kind of it. He's like, well, he said, I think I've been programmed to apologize. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, because when I was in school, I had to apologize all the time for everything I did that was related to my ADHD. Yes. And I had no, I didn't know this. That was complete news to me. And I was, and I really wanted him to explain more, you know, of what was going on. But I knew that he identified as a quote unquote bad kid when he was mm-hmm. in traditional school. But I didn't realize that, yeah, you go through your life apologizing. You're going to feel like everything you do is wrong. And yes. I can imagine what a huge barrier that is for people. Yeah, absolutely. So for the parents who are listening, 
you know, there's so much work that we can do, I know. And I know that we are often unwittingly contributing to this mindset that there's something wrong. Do you have any thoughts or advice on, I don't know, maybe a few tips for parents of how they could start to do this kind of shift at home with their own kids? I don't know, there are little tweaks they can do and to help this reframe happen. Absolutely, absolutely. There are a couple of things. One would be when your child has some kind of behavior, realize that that behavior is being driven by some thoughts or feelings from the inside. Mm -hmm. And then really talk to the child about those thoughts and feelings after you've all cooled off. Mm -hmm. That's the most important part. Mm -hmm. And then realize that if, for example, if a child doesn't want to go to school, there's typically or almost always a part of the child, obviously, that doesn't want to go to school. But the opposite part is also always present. So there's a part of the kids that wants to go to school. And there's a part of the kid that doesn't want to go to school. And you can talk to either one. Hmm. If you talk to the behavior, you're talking to the one that doesn't want to go to school. Mm -hmm. But if you have that conversation about what's going on, so is there also a part of you that wants to go to school? Yeah, sure. There's a, a part of me that really wants to learn or whatnot or hang out with my best friend or what. Then you can start talking to that part of the kid hmm. from early morning until you're out the door. That will change the conversation and that'll change how your own emotional state is and how the child's emotional state is. So that's one thing. The other thing is look at that positive intention. Always go for the positive intention. Let me give an anecdote here. My, um, my assistant on the, the live training I do for coaches told me that she'd been sitting around a table with her family or her nephew, and uh, the nephew suddenly reached out and turned over the milk, the milk carton, and milk all over, and people were yelling and screaming and degrading him for doing that again, 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 and, and really like a bad setup. And my assistant asked the kid, what were you trying to do? Because mm. you obviously didn't manage to do it. What were you trying to do? What was the positive intention, basically? But she didn't ask the kid, the six-year-old kid, about his positive intention. Right. So she was trying to ask him what he was trying to do. And, and he said, well, I could see that my dad wanted the butter in a minute. Like, dad was almost ready for the butter. And the kid really wanted to show his dad that he was a good kid. Mm. Then pouring the milk all over the place and uh, and getting berated by that same dad. Mm. Uh so if you can catch yourself and not just look at the behavior and what happens as a result of that behavior, but pause for a second and go, wow, what was he trying to do? What was actually an attempt of his that didn't succeed? Mm -hmm. That will, for most parents, bring an end to a lot of conflicts. Absolutely. Gosh, it's so powerful to think about that. And it's something, you know, that we definitely believe in, in our home that behavior is information and we still forget it sometimes. But <laughs> so many of us assume the worst. And I think especially if we're stressed or have a lot of things going on and behavior is challenging and we're feeling under attack, you know, we're in this kind of mindset. So Absolutely. it's easy to jump to that conclusion and that behavior was done without thought or intentional or, or, or just not yeah. thinking, right? Like, what were you thinking? I love this assuming 
that there was a good intention. And this question, what were you trying to do that I could just see how that question, if you just respond with that, every time your child does something unexpected that you don't like, <laughs> yeah, yes. that that would fix so many things and probably prevent a meltdown, right? Because a lot of kids immediately go on the defensive when they feel that they've screwed up and then they escalate, then we escalate. And next thing you know, yes. we've got an explosion. So I could see how just asking that question could stop the cycle immediately. Absolutely. Because you reach out with curiosity instead of blame or anger, right. frustration. Curiosity. That is the key word, isn't it? Yes. Anders, I feel like we could have a very, I mean, this is already a long episode and mm. there's so much we could talk about. So I hope that you will come back on the show and we I'd will love to. continue this. But before we go today, would you tell us a little bit about where people can reach you and what you are offering through Transforming ADHD? Yes, I'd love to. Well, so you said it, transformingadhd.com. And I've made a special video for parents listening and professionals listening to Tilt Parenting. So if you go to uh, transformingadhd.com slash tilt, there'll be a special video for you there. What I'm currently developing as we record this and will be ready by the time the recording comes out is a parenting course on how to build your child's self-worth. And that will be followed by courses on conflicts and anger management and so on. So that's my work at transformingadhd.com. And those will all be virtual classes that people can participate from anywhere in the world? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks for making a cool special video for Tilt. That makes us feel very appreciated. <laughs> so well, thank, you. thank you. I really love listening to the Tilt po Parenting Podcast. So I'm a big fan myself. Excellent. Well, for listeners, I will include links to all of this. And Anders also has recently started a YouTube channel. So I'll make sure to share that as well. Thank you so much for just such thoughtful insight today. It's got my mind racing already of things that I can be kind of noticing in my own life and family. And I know that listeners are going to get a lot out of this too. So thanks again. Thank you, Debbie. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to the special video Anders made for the Tilt community, his website, Transforming ADHD, and the other resources we mentioned, visit the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 46. If you're not already signed up for our newsletter, I would love for you to join our Tilt Parenting online community. I send out short weekly updates with links to new content on the Tilt website, articles, and resources just for you. And lastly, here's my weekly pitch to ask you to leave an honest review or rating for the podcast on iTunes. It only takes a minute, it is pain-free, I promise, and it really helps get us more visibility in the crowded podcast space. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know 
while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 